Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Our listener support campaign continues, and I want to thank our latest Patreon supporter, April, who uh, joined us at the detective sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. And uh, you can become a Patreon supporter at patreon.greatdetectives.net or send a one-time donation at support.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for today's episode of Nightbeat. Original air date, June the 12th, 1950. And this one is The Football Player and the Syndicate. Wheaties presents Nightbeat. On stage tonight, transcribed from Hollywood, Nightbeat, another in the Wheaties big parade of exciting half-hour presentations. Nightbeat. This is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Stories start in many different ways. This one began when I bumped into a wonderful legend out of the past. And watched that legend die before my eyes. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. The Jackie Robinson story should be showing at your neighborhood theater very soon, and I'm mighty proud to suggest that you go and take the family. Because besides being the famous Brooklyn Dodger second baseman, Jackie is famous to me as a real, true Wheaties champion. He eats Wheaties about four times a week, and that's what I like to hear. His wife eats Wheaties, his son Jackie Jr. eats Wheaties, and so does his grandma. If I had my way, that's how everybody's family would feel about Wheaties, because Wheaties are that good. They're 100% whole wheat flakes, and you just can't beat whole wheat for nourishment. Wheaties are now showing at your neighborhood grocers in big orange and blue boxes. No waiting in line. Just step in there and ask for Wheaties, breakfast of champions. It's a wonderful morning when you've had your Wheaties. You know, I guess the one thing that makes a newspaper guy like me different from any other working stiff is that while a bookkeeper works with numbers, carpenter deals in wood, and the miner sweats over coal, a newspaper man, well, all he works with is people. What makes them laugh and dance in the street? What makes them cry in the night? But just the same, like most kinds of work, this has its occupational hazards, too. Being a newspaper man doesn't give you painter's colic or housemaid's knee. But sometimes it can sure do some lousy things to your heart. It was my night off. I, I had a date with a little blonde at the information desk. You know, the girl who tells you where to go after you tell her what you're looking for. I finally talked her into going dancing. I was supposed to pick her up at 9 o'clock. Only here it was 8.30 and I was still trying to find a flower shop to buy her a corsage. I'd walked to the edge of Skid Row when I finally spotted this place, a little florist shop in the center of a shabby office building. 
Looking through the window, I saw a gray-haired old lady pinning a boot and air on the lapel of a chunky fellow in a shiny blue serge. As I came through the front door, the fellow spun around like he was expecting the worst. Who? Will you hold still so I can get this flower in place? Huh. I'm sorry, Mrs. Dunlap. I'm expecting somebody. I thought maybe this fellow might be the one. All right. Now, you just stay quiet. I'll be with you in a moment, sir. All right. There's no hurry. No hurry at all. There, now. Isn't that beautiful? My husband set it aside especially for you. Tell your husband thanks. I I don't know, no matter how punk I feel, if I get a fresh flower in my lapel, it picks me up better than a shot of raw gin. Uh, how much do I owe you? Fifty cents. Uh, here you are. Oh. Oh, I'll pick it up. You seem upset tonight. This person you're going to meet must be quite important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he sure is. He's the man who's going to put me out of my misery. What? <laughs> sure. Uh, tell your husband next time I need a flower, he, he better make it a nice white lily. <laughs> Goodbye. Well, that fellow's sure upset. Oh, poor Tom Paxton. I've seen him like this before. He's just had a wee bit too much to drink, I'm afraid. Tom Paxton? No. Huh? The rose in his lapel used to be his trademark. Oh, do you know Tom? Well, if he's the same one, I was never that lucky. Best I could do was worship him from a distance. Worship Tom? Yeah, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Ten years ago, when I was in college, Tom Paxton was the greatest football star we'd ever had. He was one of the greatest in the country. He was a legend. Oh, well, it can't be the same man. I don't know. Once you get over the shock, the resemblances there, and that rose in the lapel. I don't know, lady, but I'm going to find out. I went out the side door of the florist shop into the lobby. And there was Tom standing in the dark pushing the button for the elevator. As I came up to him, he spun around again like it was part of an act that he always did on cue. Are you following me? Well, yes. You weren't just shopping for flowers there, were you? Hmm? If you're Dixie, all right. Don't play games with me. I'm tired of running away. I'm, I'm half bats. How much of it can I take? Now, look. Look, I'm Randy Stone. I, I heard the woman call you Tom Paxton. When I went to college, there was a Tom Paxton who was just about the greatest football player who ever lived. What are you talking about? You got me mixed up with three other guys. Well, this Tom Paxton was always sporting a flower in his lapel. There's no law against that, is there? Now, go on. Get out of here. Let me alone. While we were talking, the light over the button of the self-operating elevator flashed on. The elevator was coming down. Well, if Tom Paxton didn't want me to bother him, I couldn't twist his arm. I turned to leave just as the elevator doors opened. Only instead of Tom stepping in, somebody else stepped out. I was waiting for you, Paxton. <laughs> You're Dixie, aren't you? Come again? Aren't you? Sure, that's where I got this southern accent. <laughs> now listen Come to me. Come on. Somebody wants to see you. Why doesn't the syndicate give me a break? Why don't they give me a chance to pay up? I said come on. Oh, now wait a minute, Buster. You ain't invited, sport. This is one of them small affairs. Paxton... This gun in my pocket, it ain't one of them gadgets you pull the trigger and a cigarette pops out. Come on. Tom and the mug went out to a small black sedan parked at the curb. As the car raced down the street, I ran across the lobby into Dunlop's flower shop and called the police. When the squad car arrived, I told the boys what little I knew. We found Tom's office on the fourth floor. It told me more about his life since he left college than a 600-page biography. A battered couch, a filing cabinet with nothing filed away except a half-empty bottle of gin, 
and a beaten-up desk that gave up a couple of old racing forms. And then on the wall behind the desk, I saw something that really grabbed my heart. A picture of the college football team, with Tom right in front with a pigskin in his arms, smiling defiantly like nothing bad could ever happen to him. I hung around after the police left. The picture made me feel low. I wondered how many beatings you had to take to go from All-American to Skid Row to maybe the county morgue. Then the office door opened and Tom was standing in the doorway. Only he looked different. He didn't seem to be so frightened anymore. Well, I hear there were cops all over the place. What are you trying to do, get me some publicity? Did Dixie give you a stay of execution? No, that wasn't Dixie. Just one of Frank Burr's tough guys. Burr, the big shot political? Yeah, that's right. Had a little assignment for yours truly. Oh, yeah? How many times do you have to vote for him? No, it's nothing like that. I'm going to conduct a little investigation. <laughs> yeah, so you remembered the old halfback, huh? I thought you didn't know what I was talking about. Oh, well, I had a lot on my mind downstairs. Wasn't in any mood to chew the fat. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing these days? I, uh, I work on a newspaper. Oh, is that so? Uh-huh. Well, me, like you see, I went into the investigating game. It's not much of an office, but... Uh, if big shots like Burr come to me, I guess it's not so bad, huh? No, I guess not. Uh, say, this fellow Dixie I mentioned, I, I don't want you to get any funny ideas about him. I just gambled a little over my head, you know, like anybody does now and then. Well, I owe the syndicate a few thousand bucks, so they think they can scare me by putting their hatchet men on my trail. Only if you remember Tom Paxton, you, uh, no, he don't scare so easy. Right? That's right, yep. Now, that reminds me. I better call the boys right now and tell them I'll settle up at the end of the week. You know, I don't want them losing any sleep on my account. Well, uh, I'll be going, Tom. No, 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 kid. Stick around, stick around. I'd like to talk to you, kid. About old times, eh? All right, okay, Tom. Hello, Jack. Hiya, kid. This is Tom Paxton. Say, uh, look, baby, I got some good news for you. I'll be able to settle with you boys at the end of the week. Well, I know I have, but this time it's on the level. Well, uh, now, now, wait a minute, Jack. Don't, don't hang up on me. Well, now, give me a break, baby. Three days? Oh, but I can't do the job in three days. No, wait, please, don't hang up. Okay, okay. Three days. Only tell Dixie to lay off. Yeah. Thanks, Jack. Thanks a lot. Three days. How am I going to find him in three days? Um, uh, Tom, if there's anything I can do... What? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's something you can do. You can clear out of here. So you found me out, huh? That make you feel good or something? Oh, now, look. Maybe if you'd taken the beatings I have, maybe if you'd been crossed up, stabbed in the back, slugged, cheated as many times as I have, you... Oh, what am I telling you for? Go on, get out of here. Sure thing. So long, Tom. No, no, wait a minute. Yeah? Look, you being a reporter, you could get into records I couldn't even touch, couldn't you? Well, I think so. Look, if I had a week, I could do it on my own, but I've got to find him in three days. Who do you have to find in three days? Look, Stone, I'm not going to kid with you anymore. I've got to make good on this job Berg gave me. I've got to get that fee. If I don't, this guy... Dixie, Will. Who is this guy, Dixie? Well, that's what drives me nuts. Nobody knows. Only the syndicate. Well, why don't you go to the police? No, no, no. Cops are out of my line. If I could clean this job up in three days, Burr will pay me $5,000 and I'll be all right. It... Oh, it's like I've always said. 
All you need in life is one good break. And after that, you can roll on your own. What about Burr? Well, for a big shot, he's sure plenty scared. Says the newspaper's trying to destroy him. Oh, so? So the only way they can do it is to find somebody named John Durand. I never heard of him. Nobody, but not to Burr. What does Durand look like? Well, Burr wouldn't know what he looks like today. He hasn't seen him for 25 years. I've only got one thing to go on. Now, what's that? John Durand is a blind man. Uh, A big shot like Burr, afraid of a helpless blind man? Afraid? Burr's as frightened of that blind man, John Durand, as... as I am of my unknown pal, Dixie. General Mills is bringing you Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Brandy Stone. You know, it's a wonderful morning when you've had your Wheaties. You bet. You get up, you stumble out of bed. Well, you do, don't you? But when you get to the Wheaties, everything looks brighter. Because these are the toastiest, crispiest, friendliest little whole wheat flakes you ever shook a spoon at. They're nice to be with at the breakfast table, Wheaties are. Good as they are with the rich, full, nut-like taste of good whole wheat. And that whole wheat, brother, what that whole wheat can do for you. You can honestly, truly, do a better job, work easier, get through the morning happier when you start a better breakfast with Wheaties. So, if you plan to get up in the morning, plan to join the rest of the smart people who are getting up to Wheaties. Pour on the milk, put on the fruit, pick up the spoon, and enjoy yourself. Wheaties. Breakfast of champions. Breakfast for you. It's a wonderful morning, but you've had your Wheaties. And now, back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. Tom and I started work the next morning, right after he picked up a fresh, sweet-smelling rose from Mr. and Mrs. Dunlop's florist shop in the lobby. It's funny, but for Tom, a flower in his lapel was like a shot of benzedrine. After that, we split up. I went down to the paper to have a talk with the political editor. Yes, everyone interested in clean government was trying to wash that burr right out of their hair. But so far, nothing definite had turned up against him. Only a funny blank space in Burr's biography, a blank space that happened 25 years ago. And I got that ever-loving jackpot feeling. 25 years ago... That's when John Duran, the blind man, entered the picture. Tom and I had to find that blind man, and we had three days. Randy, I'm calling from City Hall. I've checked all the city directories. No John Duran. Oh, that's great. I visited every agency that helps the blind. Nobody's ever heard of him. Well, what are we going to do, Randy? What else can we do? We keep looking. He's not on any credit report. His name's never appeared on any police blotter. Well, we're running out of time. Well, nothing to do but keep looking. I've been going through the records over at the county building. I can't find a trace. We've got only one day left, Randy. The syndicate gave me till midnight tomorrow. What are we going to do? What we've been doing right along. Keep looking. The third day, we started making the rounds of all the hoodlum hangouts. The bars, the pool halls, the mangy little side street flop houses. I took one section of the city and Tom took the other. And late that night in one of those flop houses, I got the shock of my sweet life. No, nobody named John Durand ever stopped here. Well, I thought he might have stayed here under a phony name. He's a blind guy yeah, and Yeah, I know all about him, mister. You what? What did this poor sucker do anyhow? 
Every hoodlum I know is looking for him. What are you talking about? Just what I said. Every guy in town who'll cut a throat to earn a buck is looking for John Duran. It was after 9 p.m. when I got back to Tom's office to break the news to him. Poor guy, he thought Burr had given him an exclusive assignment. And all the time Burr had set up a private manhunt. He'd unleashed every mad dog in town to track down John Duran. When I got to the office, the door was open, but Tom wasn't around. I sat down to wait for him, and the phone started ringing. Hello? I'd like to speak to Mr. Paxton. Well, he's not around right now. Any message? Yes, this is Frank Burr calling. Oh, yes. You can tell Mr. Paxton that he can stop his search for John Durand as of now. Does that mean you found him? Oh, you know about it, eh? Oh, yes, I'm helping Paxton. Did you find Durand? No. But I know where I can find him when I want to. I see. But then I, uh, I guess that winds things up. Yes. Tell Mr. Paxton, will you please? Yeah, I'll look, uh, as long as it's all over with. Why have you been so anxious to catch Durand? After all, he's only a blind man, and I... Mm-hmm. I'll ask a silly question, you get a silly answer. I had just hung up the phone, thinking, poor Tom, now there's no way out for him. His three days were just about all washed up. Now there was nobody left but his friend Dixie. And then, like I'd said a magic word or something, the door to Tom's office started slowly opening. Tom came in, leading a little old guy with smoked glasses and a white cane. Tom, you found him. You found Duran. I should be so lucky. No, this is Mr. Graham, one of the directors of the Institute for the Blind. Hello. How do you do? I'm going batty, banging my head against walls. I figured maybe Mr. Graham might give us a lead. Oh, uh, Mr. Graham, this is Randy Stone. How do you do, sir? I hope I can be of service. Oh, thank you, but... uh... I'm afraid it's too late, Mr. Graham. Too late? What do you mean? A bird just called. He's found Durand. Uh, you can forget that $5,000 fee. You're, uh, fired. And Dixie comes into the picture again. The syndicate gave me only until tonight. Yeah, uh, excuse me while well, I make a call. Who are you calling? About 2,000 cops. Hang up the phone, Randy. What are you talking about? You need them now. Hang it up. Don't be nuts. All right, I'll hang it up for you. Now, what's that for? Call in the cops. Big deal. Maybe it would delay my trip to the morgue, but if that's the best I can get, it's no soap. The cops would protect you? Sure, for a week, two weeks, maybe even a month. But then what? Dixie would still be waiting. He's never missed an appointment. They'd pick him up before he reached you. There's a couple of small laws about killing people. How would they pick him up? They wouldn't even know who to look for. Uh, uh, gentlemen, I, I seem to be intruding. If one of you will lead me to the elevator, I... Oh, you lead him, Randy. Then you get on the elevator right with him. Thanks for the trike. Oh, now, wait a minute. Beat it, will you? I'm expecting a guest. Now, Mr. Graham, before we leave, uh, for my own amazement, I want to ask you something. Yes? Can you think of any reason why a powerful man like Burris should be afraid of a helpless blind man? Uh, Well, of course, that's hard to say. Randy, will you get out of here, the both of you? Unless, of course, the man saw something just before he went blind that would incriminate Mr. Burr. Hmm? Yes. You see, the blind never forget the last thing they see before they go blind. It stays alive in their mind until the moment they die. Well, then, if Durand had been a witness to a crime Burr committed and then went blind... That would indeed make him the greatest possible menace to Burr. Well, then, that's it. Hooray for our side. A lot of good it does me now. I can tell you how it was when I went blind. It happened quite suddenly, as the doctor said it would. I was out in the country with my family. Wildflowers everywhere. 
Now that my blindness has made me so overly sensitive to the lovely scent of flowers, the picture is even more real. You know, it's a strange thing about flowers. The blind man kept talking softly, more to himself than to us. Tom had spun his swivel chair around so that he was looking out of the window. The back of his shirt collar was soaking wet. I knew the pressure was building up inside him like steam in a boiler. Absently, he'd been taking the ever-present flower from his lapel, and he was tearing it apart with nervous fingers. And then Tom's back stiffened. He was staring through the window down at the dark street. I looked over his shoulder. A big car had stopped a short way down the street. A heavy-set, well-dressed man had stepped out. As he passed under the street lamp in front of the flower shop, I recognized him from his pictures. Burr. It's Frank Burr. Tom's voice sounded cockeyed. I looked at him. His face was falling to pieces like an overripe melon. He was looking at the flower he'd taken from his lapel. <laughs> Mrs. Dunlop, she, she won't like what I'm doing to her flower. Always so proud because her husband could select sweet-scented flower. Graham, what did you say before? Now that my blindness has made me sensitive to the scent of flowers... Yes, I see. Mr. Dunlop, the florist. I never had a good look at him. He was always puttering around and back. You think... That... I know. John Durand was always just downstairs in the lobby. And there's still time for me, Randy. There's still time. As Tom raced for the door of his office, he pulled a gun out of his coat. I followed him. He went to the elevator, pressed the button a couple of times, and then decided to take the stairs instead. He looked back at me, chasing after him, and waved me back. He started down the stairs two at a time. I caught up with him at the second landing. I grabbed his shoulders. He tried to tear himself away. Let me go, Randy. Let me go. What do you mean there's still time? What are you going to do down there? Randy, I'm telling you to let me go. Answer me. What are you going to do? Sure, I'll answer. You're over, boy. What do you think Burr was going to pay me $5,000 for? Just to give him Durant's address so he could send him nasty letters? No, there was one other little item I didn't tell you about. I not only had to find Durant, I had to make sure nobody else found him. I had to... I had to kill him. Oh, Tom, you're kidding. A helpless blind man? Oh, Burr thinks I'm the man for the job. He told me I was the ideal choice. Tom, you're not that kind of a man. Who says so? You think this is still the old football team with a lot of nice rules so nobody gets hurt too bad? This is the jungle, Rover Boy. It's dog-eat-dog all the way down the line. <gasps> now, let me go. No. I said, let me go. He broke away and took off the stairs again. But Tom had put on a lot of fat since college days, and walking the night beat had kept me lean. I caught up with him just as we reached the lobby. Randy, I'm telling you to lay off of me. Now, leave me alone. You're going to listen to reason. All you need is one good break. Well, this is mine, and I'm going to take it. Now, let me go. You're crazy. I can't let you do it. You'll have to let me do it, Randy. You're just going to have to let me do it. Tom brought the gun barrel down on my head. My knees turned to ginger beer. I reached for the wall to keep from falling, but the wall fell right with me. I tried to cry out, but all I could manage was a wheeze. Helplessly, I watched Tom, with the gun still in his hand, go through the lobby entrance into the florist shop. Oh, Tom! What on earth are you doing with that gun? At that moment, the front door opened, too, and Mr. Burr came into the shop, also carrying a gun. Don't do that! What a spot for a chorus of all Lang Syne. What's going on? Mr. Paxson, what is this? Huh? Is the job still mine? A smug little smile Please. crossed Burr's face as he Don't put his own gun away. Sure, why not, Paxton? A deal's a deal. He's in back working on his flowers. But it'll have to be her, too. Oh. Okay. Okay. No! Please! Tom! Tom raised no! his gun as old Lady Durant started running for her husband. 
And then Tom seemed to hesitate like something was going through his mind. Go on, go on. What are you waiting for? Maybe Tom was thinking about his last ten years on Skid Row when he'd never done one decent thing. And maybe he thought it was time to start. Go ahead and get it over with, Paxton. Suddenly, Tom swung the gun away from the cowering Durans and began shooting. There wasn't even time for that smug smile to leave Burr's face as Burr slowly crumbled to the floor. After that, everything started getting foggy for me. By the time the police arrived and splashed cold water on my face, Tom had gotten away, disappeared into the night. Burr was dead, and now John Durand wasn't afraid to talk. Twenty-five years before, Burr had been a punk in the rackets. There'd been a bombing. One man killed, John Durand blinded. And the picture Durand carried in his mind, the last thing he saw before the lights went out forever, was Burr throwing that bomb. After that, Durand was afraid Burr would try to finish the job, so he changed his name and went into hiding. I told the cops about the gambling syndicate that had been hounding Tom, and they went after the boys. And all in all, it was quite an evening. Then around 3.30 in the morning, while I was sitting up in my office trying to bat out my night beat story, my telephone started ringing. Yeah. Randy, this is Tom. Tom, hey, where are you? Never mind, I'm okay. I just wanted to let you know you. Listen, every cop in the city's looking for you. Well, they can look until Christmas. It won't do them any good. I've got a hideout that they couldn't find with radar. How come? <laughs> it's like I've always said. All you need is one good break. I got mine right out of a clear blue sky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real square. Met him at a bar. Didn't know where to turn. This guy buys me a drink. Says I look like I can stand a good meal and a place to sleep. He thinks I just blew into town and I'm down and out. Now he says I can stay here as long as I like. He's in the next room, so I gotta make this call short. Tom, I tell you, you're crazy for hiding out. The police will give you a break. Now, says who? I'm telling you, they will. And even if they did, what about the syndicate? What about Dixie? There isn't any more syndicate. Most of those hoodlums are already sitting in jail. What? Dixie, too? No, but they'll have him soon enough. Now they've got a description of him. They know who to look for. Look, I, I gotta hang up. This guy's liable to pop in any second. But just for the records, what does Dixie look like? He's an ordinary fellow. He wears glasses, even. He's got gray hair. Looks more like an insurance man than a hoodlum. Dixie looks like that. The only two distinguishing marks, according to the police, is that Thumb is missing from his left hand. Randy. Randy, has he got a white scar under his eye? How did you know that? Look, Randy. The guy that took me to this hideout, the guy that gave me the break, he's Dixie. What? Where are you? Quick, tell me. He's coming, Randy. Tom. 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 Operator. 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 Yeah. Like Tom always said, all you need is one good break. Sure, a nice, pleasant morrow coming right up. Well, maybe not so pleasant. Tom had been dead a long time before Dixie caught up with him. Tom had died when he found out he wasn't always going to be a hero, the guy on top of the heap. What is there about people that they've got to be number one or they won't play? What's so bad about being number two or number three? Why does life have to be one great victory after another? What's so fancy about us that we can't afford to fall on our face every so often? The fellow who said, God, give me the strength to fail 
really had something. And besides, not making the top of the heap has its compensations, too. It's a lot less lonely down here among us also, Rand. Copy, boy. You are listening to Night Beat on the Wheaties' Big Parade. And here's Frank Martin. Oh, Frank Lovejoy. Oh, yeah, Frank. Uh, before you go, I'd like you to meet our special visitor tonight, Sarah Berner, whose new show, Sarah's Private Caper, is joining the Wheaties' Big Parade on Thursday nights. Well, hello, Sarah. Welcome to the Wheaties' team. Gee, what a big, handsome hunk of man. Oh, Wheaties, you know, Sarah. <laughs> Will you two stop kidding me? Oh, I don't know. I've been feeding Wheaties to my boyfriend, Melvin. But Melvin still looks just the same. I bet he feels good, though. That he does, Mr. Lovejoy. And uh, how do you like your Wheaties? In a dish, Sarah. In a dish. Oh, what a coincidence. Me, too. And me, too. Wheaties and I will be listening for Sarah Burner in Sarah's Private Caper Thursday nights from now on. Good luck, Sarah. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Written and edited by Larry Marcus. Music by Frank Worth. The part of Tom was played by Bill Conrad. Others in tonight's cast were Jeanette Nolan, Ted Von Elts, and Norman Field. Listen next week at this same time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. And this is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin, inviting you to listen also on Tuesday, that's tomorrow night, to the Penny Singleton Show on the Wheaties Big Parade. See you then. Nightbeat came to you transcribed from Hollywood. Stay tuned for the new Top Secret over most NBC stations. Hi, this is Andrew from otrwesterns.com. I wanted to invite you to come take a look at our site where we put out podcasts of old-time radio westerns. Check us out at otrwesterns.com. You're listening to The Great Detectives of Old Time Radio with Adam Graham. Now let's get back into the show. Welcome back. One great thing Nightbeat does is highlight just how uh, great an actor William Conrad is. Uh, and this one, you might see some similarity just superficially, the fact where he played a burnt-out boxer. But this is a very different role. And this character, he's all over the place, and uh, Conrad does really good. It's, uh, 
Got an, a few nice twists in here, including the true identity of the man they're looking for, and of course the big final twist, which is a twist worthy of the Whistler. One thing I will appreciate about Nightbeat is that they are very, you know, at least in this episode, uh, Randy's opening narration meant uh, you were pretty well expecting a downer, and you kind of got it. Um, this, uh, but the, still, I think there's an interest, a few interesting twists as we got there. All right. Well, now into listener comments and feedback. And over on Facebook regarding Nightbeat, Clay writes, I live in Chicago and it's fun to hear occasional references to places I know. And, uh, that's definitely uh, interesting about Nightbeat because most other shows are not set, are set generally uh, New York or Los Angeles, with San Francisco coming in a few times. Uh, this one is set specifically in Chicago and probably mentions more Chicago landmarks than uh, Prime Files of Flamont, which was actually recorded in Chicago. Uh, and then we have an email from April. Uh, April writes that uh, she hadn't actually intended uh, to make a specific donation during uh, this time into the listener support campaign, but we definitely appreciate uh, her signing up anyway. Uh, she uh, says, unrelated to that, thanks for mentioning the closing of Imagination Theater. It was clearly the program that cemented my love for the genre, and it's probably a large part of why I ended up listening to the great detectives of old-time radio. I hope that there are other radio programs like that out there. It saddens me that Harry Nile is going the way of Johnny Dollar and all the other great detectives, but I love that he was go going on adventures uh, at all, all these years after the end of the golden age of radio uh, dramas. As always, keep up the good work. Uh, well, I think that uh, Colonial Radio Theater is going to continue to do some sort of work with uh, modern radio dramas, and well, they're going to continue to make them, and uh, I'm certain they'll do what they can to uh, disseminate them. And I'll let you know what I find out in that regards. And Harry Nile, I think one of the really great things about it was... Uh, was like Clay was saying about Chicago, it was a story that was set in uh, a series that was set in Seattle. Now, there were about, I think, 30 episodes or thereabouts that were where Harry was in Los Angeles, and then he moved to Chicago, uh, moved to um, Seattle, and that's where the bulk of the series happened. So you get a lot of this local flavor that you didn't actually get in the golden age of radio. So in many ways, because he did such a good job being authentic, uh, Jim French did, in the way that it was written and acted, you kind of feel like you're listening to something that was lost from the golden age. And it, it is really a very special uh, experience. So I definitely agree on that. Thanks so much for the support, April, and for the great email. We'll be back tomorrow with Inspector Thorne. And next Monday, join us for another episode of Nightbeat. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.